Welcome to Voices of Care, the podcast series from New Cross Healthcare, which aims to get to the heart of the issues affecting the health and social care sector. We're doing this by challenging, engaging with the conversation to truly transform the healthcare workforce and enable the healthcare workforce of the future. I'm Sahail Mirza, and never has the NHS perhaps been at the centre of attention as it is now, politically, socially, economically. People are calling this a crisis. People are living in a cost of living crisis. And there is now statistics to show that large numbers of the healthcare workforce are leaving the NHS. What can be done about it? We're very fortunate at this time to be able to invite leaders to share their wisdom. And I am today honoured and delighted to welcome Roisin Fallon-Williams, a nurse, a respected and celebrated leader within the NHS and Chief Executive of Birmingham and Solihull Mental Health NHS Foundation Trust. Roisin, welcome and thank you so much for giving us your time today. Thank you for inviting me. It's always a pleasure. I'm going to dive straight in. I know that we're covering um, particularly nursing, uh, given your own background and the challenges it faces within the NHS. But I want to take a broad picture first. Um, You'll be familiar, of course, with the Health and Social Care Select Committee's report, uh, July. They're calling this the greatest workforce crisis in the NHS is history. And the stats from the workforce data yesterday show that people are leaving in record numbers. Do you agree we're in that parlous estate at the moment? Well, we really welcome the fact that people are beginning to talk more about something that as leaders in in the health and social care, we've had lots of sleepless nights about over many, many years. So if calling it a crisis, if the select committee getting involved in the way that they have is going to motivate, inspire and help us, um, then yes, let's call it that. We are in a situation whereby we need to think really differently about how we support our workforce that we have now and how we um, encourage our workforce of the future. We're also at a time of profound transformation structurally with the NHS, the statutory footing for integrated care systems that have been around for a few years, but July have seen them on a, on a statutory footing. But the context remains 100,000 vacancies right across the NHS. This is not a, not a new issue. It was there pre-pandemic, uh, as you know. Um, and New Cross Healthcare, it, its mission is to transform and personalise the experience of care by creating local, national and global healthcare ecosystems. And that sense of collaboration I think is also in the spirit of the legislation that's brought the integrated care systems. Do you think that offers some hope, a systems, a place-based approach, so that we have less competition within trusts and providers for the workforce in terms of being able to utilise them in the way that's the most efficacious? It provides a fabulous opportunity, one that I don't think we would have had in the old cultural way that we worked um, the idea that, you know, I, I, I've got a deficit in a particular workforce today, my colleagues down the road do too. I'm thinking only about my position. I'm thinking about what incentives that I might put into the system that disincentivize other people. So really thinking collectively about what we're doing um, is really important. So in Birmingham and Soli Hull, through what was the people board that we had, we spent a great deal of time talking about what our common issues were, how we could work together to do things differently, including things like that everybody else is doing, like international recruitment. And of course, if we all do that independently as separate organisations, we're competing in other markets. Mm. We ought to be thinking collectively, and that's certainly what we're doing in Birmingham and Solihull as a system around how we undertake our international recruitment campaign. No, and that's really encouraging, as uh, we both know, in- integration has been on the agenda for a, a long time. Uh, before I dive into um, specifics of what's going on uh, at the Trust, I wanted to look at the nursing 
cohort. Um, the health secretary, uh, our third in, in, in three months, has uh, used the alphabet as the priority, the ABCD. Uh, there's no N there, which is for nursing, but I want to have a look at that. The Health Foundation over the summer, with some projections comparing it to pre-pandemic levels, estimates we might have 38,000 full-time equivalent vacancies in nursing. It's, it's, it's a tremendous issue. We've had the pay award the stats show that nursing income in real terms between 2011 and 21 fell by 5%. So we have a context where the Bank of England is talking about inflation at 13%. Now we haven't got time to delve into all of the economics of that, but you touched upon how can we immediately address these shortages. You talked about international recruitment. We had a task force in August from the previous health secretary. It's been a lever that's been pulled a lot of times, it's, it was called for in the long-term plan in 2019, as you know. Just your experience of it, has it worked and what are your prospects for it working, particularly uh, in the trust and the system, you, t you mentioned yeah. it specifically. So, I mean, I think the thing is that whether or not we had specific campaigns or the, the task force um, supporting us in that way, actually we were recruiting internationally which yep. is slightly different. So people were coming to us from an international perspective to join us. And one of the things that we did was look at look at that first. Yep. What were the experiences of those people that had come to us internationally? So we could do some learning about if we were going to undertake a very specific piece of work around international recruitment as a system, um, what was the learning from people joining us internationally? So we've linked up with um, some of the national networks. So I'm fortunate enough to have one of the founders of the um, British Indian Nurses Association working in my organisation as a leader and so the ability to have conversations with him and the members of that group around what those nurses experiences were and the ability for us to think about how we play that into what we're doing around our international nurses um, a recruitment campaign so I think you know it does work Yep. But it has its limitations. Hmm. And of course, you have to support people to um, to feel that they're part of the community that they're joining. You have to give them the opportunity to network in the ways that I've just described. But it's not enough. Um, those vacancies that you've just described, um, what you'll also discover is that a significant amount of those are in the mental health field. Yep. So we know that we're having to think really differently about what our workforce look like looks like in the next um, couple of years, but also differently around how we um, encourage people to think about health in the longer term. No, thank you. It's, it's encouraging to see that actually taking um, soundings from those who really understand international recruitment, because it's not simply about numbers and filling posts, it's about culture and integration into the wider socioeconomic network. And I wanted now to dive into a little bit of the work that you're doing at Birmingham Solihull. Um, it's a extraordinarily diverse and complex organisation. I think you're across 40 plus sites, 71,000 service users. And just wanted to touch upon um, your five-year strategy, workforce strategy. And you, you've highlighted that it's important to be the best place to work, a workforce with the right skills and values. But you've really uh, touched upon the importance of diversity. Yeah. Uh, and I'd like you to expand upon that because yeah. it's something that is clearly at the centre of the NHS People Plan. But given the unique characteristics of the region, I think it'll be interesting to hear what you have done about that as it's, it's key to retention as well as attraction. Yeah, it, it is. It's absolutely to both. And, and of course, in order to have the right culture for people to come internationally, we have to have a culture of, of welcoming people of diversity into our organisation. And certainly what we experience is that that isn't always the case. 
So, you know, we've, we're trying to do a piece of work around, well, we've done some very specific work okay. around being very open about acknowledging that racism exists in society. It therefore will exist in our organisation. So very openly putting forward a campaign around anti-racism, anti-discrimination. We know that homophobia, um, transphobia is also prevalent in our society. It will be prevalent in our organisation. So acknowledging that these things happen, acknowledging that that has an impact for, for people with those protected characteristics and being very clear about how we will support people um, to behave in the right ways. So using our values um, as the premise for that. So alongside the anti-racist, anti-discriminatory campaign, we've launched something called Enough is Enough, mm-hmm. which again is about an acknowledgement that, that these things are happening in our organisation. Acknowledging that for many people using a formal process, a disciplinary process, a dignity at work process, for example, is daunting and it's not what they want to do. Or they may have indeed tried to do it before and nothing's changed. So we're very clear that if you use to inform us of um, the fact that you felt you've been discriminated against or bullied or harassed in any way, that we will take forward a process that doesn't have to involve you. That we're listening, we're not just, you know, that you can speak up, we will listen and we will follow up on, on, on what it is that you've told us. Now that's refreshing to hear because, I mean, clearly everybody's committed to uh, equality, diversity, inclusion, but has that been well received? Are people embracing that? Because it can be, if we're really honest, uncomfortable when you make those admissions and you look at the mirror and say, actually, as you just said, if this is in society, this will be prevalent even in the sacred uh, cow yeah. of the NHS. It, it's difficult for those of us that that that, um, that, that are white. I think mm-hmm. it's difficult for us because, particularly for those of us that work in the health and care professions, because we recognise that that we're that that we're given a commitment to other people, that we care about other people, that we're doing our best, and we haven't maybe taken time to stop and think about how we've colluded, perhaps, with some of the structural kind of discriminatory perspectives around that are around. So it's very difficult, I think, for us to acknowledge that we might have been a contributor. I mean, my, you know, so for our campaign is talks about be part of the solution, not part of the problem. And, and, to, and to approach it empathetically rather than in a, in a spirit of condemnation. If, if people have been a contributor, there may be many different reasons for that, but it's the sea change. And I think it's also, we're talking about workforce here today, enabling the workforce of the future, but patience at the heart of everything here and I think this is also very important in terms of not just an employee value proposition uh, but your community because I think in Birmingham if my stats are right something like in excess of 40% of the population identifies non-white so this is not just a commercial workforce imperative it's a dare I say a moral imperative. Uh, Well I think it's we have a duty that's how I describe it in our boardroom that's how I describe it in our organisation we have a duty um, to acknowledge that these things are prevalent and that we have we, we that as leaders we are um, incumbent upon us to do something uh, about that um, to really acknowledge um, and as I said the you know the, the, the kind of both the pledge around anti becoming an anti-racist and anti-discriminatory organisation and um, the work around things like is in, enough is enough are designed to really get, you know really make it clear to people that that we understand that it's prevalent we understand that it's difficult to accept that that actually that, that you know that we might be part of it 
And in order to do that, we, we run things like active bystander training. Yep. So anybody who wants to acknowledge, look, I, I, I'm not quite understanding what role I can play. What can I do? We say you can be an active bystander. Here's some support. Here's some tools and techniques to support you to take that role in this organisation. No, great. Thank you for sharing that. Ch changing tack slightly and going back to your five-year strategy, you highlight the importance of um, offering a flexible uh, working environment. Um, clearly that's enshrined in the NHS People Promise, the NHS People Plan. I think now two years ago we had that uh, promulgated. Uh, and you tie that specifically to the importance of work-life balance. Now that's very, very timely. Um, yesterday we had the NHS workforce data. Um, record numbers leaving voluntarily in the first quarter of the financial year 2021-2022. The highest number, I think it was 35,000, uh, over the last decade. And the biggest reason, or the largest cohort, was was work-life balance, and then there was a thousand people talking about incompatible working relationships. So it goes back to culture, but I think, can we talk about flexibility and how important that is yeah. for the, enabling the workforce of the future? Because with those numbers, it's a stark reality that we've still got a long way to go. So I think, again, as, as leaders in health and care, it's, it, you know, we have got a bit of a culture whereby people think that actually the practice is that you need to be working full time. I, people find it very difficult to sometimes to consider how can I work with people who will only work school hours, um, etc. But of course, we know that it's possible. And we know that it's possible if we give our teams the right techniques, the right equipment, the, the right um, tools to enable them to work the rotors. Yeah. And that's what their real concern is. How am I going to work a rotor so using e-rostering um, as a means of being able to support much 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 more flexible working um, and allowing it, everybody to understand that that this that this is about um, enabling people to give their best yep. um, it's it's not about us being in a position whereby we're needing to pander if you like I think culturally I think people see, see it that sometimes mm. as pandering to particular whims it's about really supporting people to be the best that they can they can be. You know, for example, we know that many staff who join our temporary workforce yep. do so for that reason. Absolutely. So supporting them in the first instance to say, we can support you to have this kind of work regime if you work for us substantively. So trying to move people that have very made very specific choices around that to the substantive workforce to demonstrate and to support and act as a foundation to build upon around how our flexible working arrangements might work. And I think that's important when we take into account the larger trends, the macro trends in the labour market. People want that uh, flexibility choosing when to start, when to uh, end their work. And obviously we've had the, the great resignation if we look at the lar lar larger labour market and the NHS competes for, for those people and to entice them. Um, broadening it out a little bit, um, New Cross Healthcare have a huge commitment to be uh, a learning partner for life, encouraging anybody uh, who wants to have training to enter care, uh, nursing profession, um, free at the point of access. And what that reminded me of was in your strategy, your, your, your goal is to have a high performance workforce, upskilling and giving people true career progression. Could you expand upon that? Because we interview models of care, very community-based. This goes back to the five-year forward view. Shall I dare I mention that eight years later? Um, and, and new roles. So allowing that high-performance culture to flourish, what, what have been the things that you perhaps have been most proud of to allow particularly nurses, but maybe a broader workforce, to engage in that upskilling and have a career pathway that they 
inspires them. Yeah, I mean, I think, to be perfectly honest, I think it's probably slightly easier to do that for, for nursing mm. than perhaps some of the other professional groups that we've got. But I think, so I think there's something about us thinking of in the multidisciplinary team perspective. So putting in place something that supports us both in terms of encouraging people around being able to take on um, additional um, education and training, but also aligning it to our values. Yep. So ensuring that actually it's it's equipping us for the culture that we want in the organisation. So those things I talked about around, so one of our values is inclusivity, and that fits very much with our anti-racist, anti-discriminatory work. So we need our leadership development programmes to align to that as well. So whilst giving people an opportunity to, to gain additional training and expertise, we're aligning it all the time back to what we want culturally in the organisation. And the opportunities for additional skills, career development, that's across the journey from someone who joins uh, the trust all the way to senior colleagues yeah. in, in whatever profession. And we're very fortunate because obviously in Birmingham and, and Solihull we, we have a number of universities so we work with a number of universities around that and we can you know develop bespoke leadership programs and so as a system yep. so as a Birmingham and Solihull system we've developed some um, bespoke kind of leadership development programs and professional development programs for people around inclusivity, people working in a collaborative way, that whole point yep about moving away from just thinking about your population in mental health but actually our population in Birmingham and Solihull so I've had some really good opportunities um, through those relationships to develop those kind of programs. And presumably I mean it's early days presumably that would also allow a sort of a broad-based talent pool if you like for want of a better phrase that may even not work for the trust and may not even be in mental health that can have pathways do you envisage that for them to skill in the right way to support those multidisciplinary teams because we're now in a place where social care the voluntary sector is in theory coming together to have a joined up system yeah, so it, that gives me an opportunity to talk something about that we're really proud of in mm -hmm. Birmingham and Solihull. So during COVID, we were thinking about the impact of COVID on, on our citizens, actually, yep. and particularly through our relationships with the local two local authorities that we work with, where they were beginning to help us understand what unemployment might look like in an already place where a geographical space where high unemployment prevails what that might mean for us and beginning to think about what could we do as anchor institutions to support our communities and we, we, we've developed a, a program called I Can. Mm -hmm. So that's designed um, to support people who've never thought about health and care as a career choice for them to to be supported to um you know through things like the literacy be given some talent you know some particular training to get them through to a position where they could apply for entry-level roles we started with a very 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 small ambition of um supporting 100 people to join health and care in birmingham and solihull and i'm really pleased to say that just over a year in we've got 183 people who have joined health and care through that route. That's a combination of people who are leaving school and would never have thought of health and care, as I said, as a career choice. People who've been made redundant mm -hmm. from particular roles who've joined in that way. And that programme is now in a place where we've got such a foundation of how it works to be able to say, well, you know, what, what more can we do? How do we take it beyond entry-level jobs? 
We're doing a particular piece of work to focus on refugees who have um, been housed in Birmingham and Solihull. How can we support them to join health and care? And also um, care leavers, who we know the prospects for them around um, employment and, and, and careers is, is, is difficult. So we see that as being something that, that will really support us going forward. And as you know... I'm a nurse by background. My mum was a nurse. My sister's a nurse. My daughter's a nurse. And my nephew has just started his training. So we're a family that understands that careers can happen in health and care. So this is designed to support people who don't have those kind of connections that I've had, that my children have had, um, to to recognise that they can flourish. I can have a career in health and care. No, that's wonderful and very, very inspiring. And it, it actually expands what many people call a finite work but it's not finite if we promote avenues to to entry Uh, one final question you you mentioned of course you're part of three generations uh, of nursing and i want to talk about leadership here because the transformations that we're seeing new models of care some of the initiatives you're talking about will require leadership and and clinician leadership nurse leadership so just wanted with your experience you um, celebrated and respected leader um, that opportunity that affords itself, particularly to the nursing cohort. Rather worryingly, the UCAS stats, I'm sure you saw them, we had uh, a 7% drop of people entering nursing courses this academic year. Pat Cullen from uh, the Royal College of Nursing saying the figures are going the wrong direction. But just to expand upon that, how important is it for, for nurses to know that actually they can, through their career, be great clinicians, of course, but also be part of the conversation to lead the change and the transformation we're seeing. Yeah, well, it's it's really important that people see people in the in those kind of roles to aspire to that look and sound like them, mm-hmm. and that's where we're not hitting the mark. Because, as you will know, that most of us in our leadership roles do not look like... So in Birmingham, as you said, over 40% um, of our population um, who we want to encourage to work in health and care um, come from a non-white background. And the majority of us in leadership roles are white. Mm. So what they don't see is they don't see someone that looks or sounds like them to aspire to. So we need to tackle that. Um, to enable the leadership. So I was really privileged a couple of weeks ago to... uh, Ruth May sponsors um, a network called Jabali, um, which is a a, a national network. Um, And again, I'm really fortunate that the chair of that group, the person that runs it, works as the leader in my organisation. And it's a group of black men who work in health, Mm. who came together to support each other to develop their careers but also to to support each other and inspire others and as part of joining them a couple of weeks ago um, they were able to inspire young men who are working in Birmingham living in Birmingham who've never thought of healthcare as an option to think about healthcare a young man stood up and said I've been inspired today because what I've recognized is I can achieve more than I've been conditioned to recognise I can achieve. Wow, that's as inspirational as uh, as you can get. Uh, I'm going to leave with the final question. Um, I'm a Lord of the Rings type of fan and uh, the one ring to rule them all. Um, if there's an equivalent in the NHS, we've been promised um, for a long time uh, and think tanks have bemoaned the fact, if it's the King's Fund Health Foundation, that there's been an absence of a workforce strategy, some claim since 2003. We are promised one. Um, are you confident we're going to get one? And very briefly, what should 
it contain and when should it come? Well, I think we've touched on some of what it should contain. It, it should be open and honest about what we haven't done. It should be it should be celebratory about the things that we have done. And it should be uh, an ins- inspiring us to do things really, really differently going forward. No, thank you for that. I think the really the big... Uh, uh, take away from me uh, there's many things that you are doing you know expanding the workforce at Birmingham Solihull through the ICANN um, opportunity but uh, if there's one theme that's uh, resonated it's the idea that actually if we are truly inclusive and honour diversity we will go a long way to solving the workforce challenges and providing the very best care for our patients there's probably a lot more that I could and arguably should talk to you about, but I think that's a great place for leaving it uh, today, the conversation. So, Roisin Fallon-Williams, uh, thank you very much for your time, uh, your candour, and if I may say, your characteristic compassion. If you've enjoyed this episode of Voices of Care, please follow, subscribe or like wherever you receive your podcasts. And if you want to have more information about how we're truly enabling the workforce of the future, please visit us at newcrosshealthcare.com forward slash voices of care. In the meantime, from me, Sahail Mirza, goodbye and thank you.